Hi guys, I'm Marie. Welcome back. Hopefully everybody is doing super well. We have rain and snow mix today. It's so cold. I don't like it at all. I need to move to somewhere warm. I don't know who out there has snow. We're just supposed to have a little bit of snow mixed with our rain this week. Nothing that will stick probably, but man, is it cold. So Hopefully everybody's staying warm and has nice heated houses and seat warmers in your car because, oh man, that makes a huge difference. (laughs) Today, we are covering part two of Hunted in Alaska, and this is the Robert Hansen case, serial killer in Alaska. If you didn't listen to part one, You might want to hop over there really quick and listen to that one before you continue on here. Now in part one, we introduced Robert Hansen and we talked about some of his earlier crimes and women who had started to go missing in the 70s and early 80s. This episode is going to cover in more detail Hansen's crimes and what he actually confessed to. We left off with disappearances that were most likely his victims and ones that were most likely not his victims. So in the last episode, we talked about women who had gone missing or been found murdered from the early 70s to the early 80s. The next 11 women we are going to talk about went missing from 1981 to Hansen's arrest in 1983. So for sure... The murders are ramping up at this point. On December 3 of 1981, Andrea Mona Alchery would go missing. Andrea went missing from Anchorage, Alaska. She moved to Alaska from Hawaii sometime in the early 80s. Shortly after she arrived in Alaska, she fell into the exotic dancer scene. At the time of her disappearance, she was 22 to 25 years old with black hair and brown eyes. She was wearing jeans, brown cowboy boots, a red sweater, and a black leather jacket. For jewelry, she was wearing a gold ring set with pearls, an antique wedding band with a rose set top, and a custom-made silver fish pendant on a gold chain. The fish was supposed to be a salmon, and the eye of the fish pendant was a diamond. When Andrea was an exotic dancer, she performed under the stage name of enchantment, and outside of dancing, she went by the nickname of Fish. On the night of her disappearance, Andrea was supposed to meet an unidentified man for a photo shoot. She was last seen getting into a cab around 11 p.m. to head towards the local mall to meet the man. She has never been seen or heard from again, and because she never came home, her girlfriend would be the one to report her missing pretty quickly. Hansen confessed to the murder of Andrea, but her remains have never been found. He would also be connected to her through his trophy collection because we learn that Hansen took trophies. If you don't know what that means, it basically just means he kept items from the people that he murdered. 
In his collection, police would find Andrea's fish necklace. The necklace that no one else would have because it was custom made for her. And of course, she's not the first victim to go missing who was meeting a man for a photo shoot. So one theory is that Hansen was most likely posing as a photographer. On May 26 of 1982, Sue Luna would go missing. Sue was last seen on May 26 in the city of Anchorage. At the time of her disappearance, she was 23 years old. She was originally from Washington State. Once she was in Alaska, she became a dancer at the Good Times Bar in Anchorage. She was last seen by her coworker and roommate when Sue would tell her that she had made plans with an unknown male that she had met while performing. She was supposed to meet the man the following day at a restaurant called Alice's 210. She had told her roommate that this date would earn her $300. Sue had every intention of returning home because she was excited about seeing her sister that weekend. Hansen would confess to her murder and her remains would be found. In August of 1982, just three months after Sue Luna went missing, Tamara Joy Peterson disappeared. Tamara, or Tammy, was 20 to 21 years old at the time of her murder. She had moved from Washington State to Alaska and was known as a free spirit. And she went missing from a nightclub called the Wild Cherry. It is reported that after they stopped hearing from her, Tammy's family abruptly moved to Alaska in search of their missing family member. It would take two years, but like a few other, her remains would be found years later because of Hansen's map and dental records confirming the remains were hers. On February 2 of 1983, Susan Edmondson would be the next to disappear. Susan was last seen on February 2. She was 30 years old at the time of her disappearance. Susan is assumed dead due to her aircraft being overdue between Fairbanks and Hot Springs would disappear. Susan is not a confirmed victim of Hansen and most likely is not a victim of his. She went missing alongside a pilot and another passenger in a small aircraft. So I think he's probably off the hook for that one. So the same month, Angela Federn went missing. Angela went missing from Palmer, Alaska, and she was 24 years old. Angela, or Angie, was born in Seattle, Washington in 1958, and she would move to Alaska in 1979. Angie was an exotic dancer at a place called Murphy's Law. Her manager would be the one to report her missing. Her family reported her as a troubled soul who had gotten into drugs and sex work to support her habit. At the time of her disappearance, she had a daughter named Christina. Her body would be found in correlation with one of Hans's exes, and he would confirm that she was one of his victims. On March 12 of 1983, Justina Jenny McGlashan would go missing. She was last seen on March 12 and was 22 years old. She also is probably not a victim of Hansen as she disappeared on board a ship that capsized. So for sure not one of Hansen's victims. April of 1983, Dylan Renee Frey 
would go missing. She often went by the nickname Sugar. Dylan was originally from Baltimore and had moved to Anchorage, Alaska. She was a waitress at the time of her disappearance and was only 19 years old. Hansen did claim her as one of his victims. On April 25 of 1983, Paula Golding would be the next to disappear. Unfortunately, we don't know that much about Paula, but we do know she was originally from Arizona and had moved to Alaska. She worked as a secretary when she first moved to Alaska, and this was in Fairbanks. And then she would move to Anchorage and become an exotic dancer at a club called the Great Alaskan Bush Company, just like Lisa Frutel, whose remains were found when police were searching the area from Hansen's map. She was said to be on the more timid side when it came to performing. And after her remains were found, no family came forward to claim her. At the time of her disappearance, she was only 17 years old. Hansen did claim to have murdered her and her remains were discovered and matched with one of the exes on his map. On April 29 of 1983, Teresa Watson was the next to go missing. Teresa was born in Sacramento, California and had found her way to Alaska. She was 22 years old at the time of her disappearance. Not much is known about Teresa, but Hansen did claim her as a victim. And I believe she has never been found. Now our next victim would be the reason why Hansen's killing streak would come to an end. On June 13, 1983, Cindy Polson was only 17 or 18 at the time of her encounter with Robert Hansen. Cindy was also known as Kitty Polson while working. Cindy, like many other of Hansen's victims, had found herself working a street corner in downtown Anchorage. She was offered $200 for her services, and almost immediately after getting into his car, he held her at gunpoint and handcuffed her. From there, Hansen would drive Cindy to his home on Old Harbor Avenue on Anchorage's east side. He would lead her into the house, and while holding her at gunpoint, he would bring her to the basement where he chained her to a post by her neck. He would gag, torture, and rape her for hours. He would then sleep on the couch in the basement to ensure that she did not escape. And this was something he said happened with all of his victims. As morning came, he would lead her to his car at gunpoint and drive her to a nearby airfield, which was the Merrill Airfield, where he kept his small private plane. It was 5 a.m. as he prepped and readied his plane. Hansen left Cindy in his car, still handcuffed, with her hands in front of her, and he told her he was going to take her to his cabin on the Kinnick River. Now, his cabin is in a valley, which is vast. It has 23,000 square miles of Alaskan wilderness. It is known for its sprawling glacier valleys, plentiful lakes and rivers, and an abundance of wildlife. It now has access by railroad or even car, but at the time of Hansen's killings, it was only reachable by boat or plane. Now, Cindy saw this as her only opportunity to escape, knowing that if she ended up on that plane, her life was most likely over. 
she would sneak out the front driver's seat of the vehicle and she would start running. She reached the roadside, which was 6th Avenue, and it was there that a man named Robert Yaunt, a truck driver passing through the area, would stop and rescue the distraught and disheveled Cindy. He saw a shadowy man with a gun drop out of sight as Cindy ran to his truck. He noticed that she was barefoot and handcuffed. She asked him to take her to the Mush Inn, which he did. Now, after she arrived at the Mush Inn, she begged the clerk to contact her boyfriend. Her boyfriend got her a cab to bring her to Big Timber Motel, which is where her and her boyfriend had been staying. Now, after dropping Cindy off at the inn, the truck driver called police, and police would track her to the Big Timber Motel. Police were told that she was in room 110, and when they got there, Cindy was alone and still handcuffed. They brought her to the police station, and she would describe in detail Hanson, his home, his basement, the airport that he had taken her to, and his plane. She also said that he had red hair and was in his 40s. Now, police were skeptical of Cindy's story. They were able to find the home that she had described and determined that it belonged to Robert Hansen. Cindy also told them that she had taken her shoes off in the back of Hansen's car as proof that she had been there. And when they finally approached Hansen, he denied the accusations, of course. Now, he did admit to picking her up. His story was that he had picked her up, they had agreed on sex, and that she tried to extort him because he wasn't willing to give her more money for her services than they had agreed to. And when police talked to the community and people that knew Hansen, some of them thought that her story seemed a little implausible. Hansen's friend, John Henning, also would give him an alibi. This led police to conclude that Cindy must be making up the story. Although Alaska State Trooper Glenn Floth was not so sure. He believed that they could have a serial killer on the loose. Now, on September 2 of 1983, the body of Paula Golding would turn up along the banks of the Kinnick River. She had been missing for five months, and the body would be in similar form to that of Sherry Morrow, whose body was found a year earlier, in a similar location, actually, to Paula's. The autopsy would show that both women were most likely nude or partially nude at the time of their murder. Even though they were dressed when they were found, they had both been shot in the back by a two twenty three rifle, but their clothing did not have any bullet holes in them, so they had been redressed after being shot. A blindfold was also found in her grave. Now, after this, troopers would finally call in the FBI. No kidding, you have so many missing and murdered women. The FBI would bring in an agent named John Douglas, who is known for being the pioneer to criminal profiling. He's also who the main character in the series Mindhunter was based on. 
great series, by the way, if you haven't seen it. The profile that John Douglas created said, the killer would be an experienced hunter who had low self-esteem. He would have a history of being rejected by women. He also said that the person would most likely keep souvenirs of his murders. This, along with Douglas's suggestion that the serial killer may also possess a stutter, would match Robert Hansen almost perfectly. And this profile would actually make police take another look at Hansen. Trooper Glenn Floth would continue to go back to the accusations that Cindy had made. Now, with Hansen's access to a plane and his cabin, he wondered if this could explain the locations where some of the bodies had been found. The trooper would put in a request to the district attorney for search warrants for Hansen's car, house, and plane. And that request would be granted. They would execute the search warrant on October 27 of 1983. When they went into search Hansen's house, right away they saw that he was a skilled hunter and that his den was full of mounts and hunting trophies. In the attic, they would find hidden firearms, including a 223 rifle, and it would match rounds that had been found with the victims. They would also find jewelry that would connect him to many of the missing women. And in Hansen's bedroom, the one that he shared with his wife, taped to the back of his headboard, they would find an aeronautical map. On this map, they would find X's marking the map. Now, in some reports, it says there was 21 X's. In some, it's reported as high as 37. 21 is the most consistent number that I came up with, though. After this, they would bring Hansen in for questioning, and he would deny everything. As he was presented with the evidence, this would change slowly. He would admit to killing some of the women, but only because he had to, really. He said they were extorting money and trying to blackmail him, and he couldn't just go along with that. It's around this time that the media dubs him the Butcher Baker, which at first I was super, super confused about. I'm like, the Butcher Baker? But it's because he owned a bakery. I get it now. Seriously. Took me way too long. Hansen would eventually change his tune a little, and this version would probably be the closest that investigators would come to getting a full admission of the truth. Robert Hansen went on to tell them that starting in 1971, he was often looking for sex workers when his family was not home, and often when they were out of town. He looked for prostitutes on the Anchorage or Palmer areas. And just like Cindy Paulson, he would hold them at gunpoint, handcuff them, and bring them to his home. He would direct them to the basement where he would torture and rape them for hours, and sometimes even for days. From his home, he would bring them to the airfield, get them in his plane, and then fly them to his cabin. After arriving, he would make the women strip, including their footwear, blindfold them. He would bring them into the forest where he would tell them to run. 
So they're naked, blindfolded. They have no shoes on. This seems very... Basically, they don't have a chance. He would then put on his full hunting gear, including his rifle and his bow and arrow. And after giving them a small head start, he would hunt them down. He also confessed to raping close to 30 women during his crime spree, but he said that he let a lot of them go. He said the women who he set free were the ones willing to go along with what he wanted and didn't put up much of a fight. They were also ones he believed wouldn't report what had happened to the police. And apparently he was right because we don't have a bunch of reports of women being kidnapped and raped. After all the interviews with Hansen, he ultimately confessed to a total of 14, but he would officially be connected to 17 with his MO. His confession included the abduction, torture, rape, and murder of all 14 victims. Although we know that his map has at least 21 X's on it, I'm not sure why at this point he wouldn't confess to all of them because I'm assuming he remembers all of them. He would then be charged with the rape and abduction of Cindy Polson, which led John Henning to come forward. Remember, John Henning is Hanson's friend that gave him the alibi. He came forward and admitted that he had lied about the alibi, but at the time hadn't believed that Hanson would be capable. So the alibi is gone. Hanson has confessed. Ballistics match. And he has trophies belonging to some of these women. Hanson would decide to cut a deal. Hanson would volunteer to plead guilty to five of his crimes. Four would be to the murders of Iklunta Annie, Joanne Messina, Sherry Morrow, and Paula Golding. The fifth charge would be the rape of Cindy Polson. He also wanted to serve his time in a federal prison versus one run by the state. If the courts would accept his plea deal, Hansen would decipher his map for investigators. So... This means that at the end of the day, Hansen would only be charged with four of these murders. Four. And he does not fully decipher the map because he claims that a lot of the X's on there don't lead to anything, which I just don't buy. During his trial, D.A. Frank Rothschild's opening statement would be, Before you sits a monster an extreme aberration of a human being, a man who walked among us for 17 years serving us donuts, Danish, and coffee with a pleasant smile. His family was a prop. He hid behind decency. This hunter who kept trophies on the wall now has trophies scattered across south-central Alaska. And while he doesn't talk about it or admit to it, it's obvious by looking at where things started and where women ended up. He hunted them down. He let them run a little bit and he enjoyed the hunt, just like with his big game animals. Ooh. The plea deal would be accepted, and in February of 1984, 
Hansen would be sentenced to 461 years in prison. Shortly after sentencing, Hansen would go with investigators to retrieve and identify most of his victims, his claimed victims anyway. So the confirmed victims of Robert Hansen are Eklunta Annie, who still has not been identified, Joanne Messina, Sherry Morrow, Paula Golding, Malia Larson, Sue Luna, Teresa Watson, Angela Fettern, Tammy Peterson, Lisa Frutel, Roxanne Eastland, Andrea Altry, Delin Frey, and Horseshoe Harriet. That is the official list of Hansen's victims, two of which were unidentified at the time of his arrest. Now, Horseshoe Harriet has recently been identified, but it only happened in 2021. And they were able to use DNA match through genealogy. Horseshoe Harriet's actual name is Robin Pelkey, who was 19 years old at the time of her death. She was originally from Colorado and had found herself in Alaska. So it took 37 years, but Horseshoe Harriet finally has a name. Authorities would attempt to find the location of the rest of the exes, but were unable to find anything. And although Hansen did not confess to them, there are three murders that authorities believe he might be connected to. So that would be Celia Beth Van Zanten, who we talked about. Her body was found in 1981, but was connected to Hansen when his map was found in 1983. So she matches an X on the map. Megan Emmerich, who had gone missing in 1973, her remains were never found, but he did admit to being in the city she disappeared from the day that she went missing. And lastly would be Mary Thill, who had gone missing in 1975, and although her remains have never been found, similarly to Emmerich, Hansen did admit to being in the city where Thill had gone missing the day that she went missing. So I would say all three of those are likely victims of Hansen. While serving his time in prison, Hansen would pass away on August 21 of 2014, and he would die of natural causes. Before his death, Hansen never named any more victims, taking the rest to his grave. It's fair to say, I think, that we will never know exactly how many victims the butcher baker had. Also, when reading about this case, I thought that it sounded a little familiar. And I went to Criminal Minds Fandom, which I've done this before on some of our cases, and it is said that season one, Extreme Aggressor and Compulsion, while not directly mentioned or referenced, Hansen appears to have been the inspiration for one of its unsubs, The Footpath Killer. Both were prolific serial killers who shot their victims with similar rifles, took trophies, and were given nicknames. And both were profiled as having a stutter. 
And then Criminal Minds Season 2, Open Season, while not directly mentioned again or referenced, Hansen appears to have been an inspiration for the Mulford family. All were serial killers, budding at least, who hunted victims, primarily women, through the Mulfords, though the Milfords also killed men in the woods and killed them with long-range weapons. Also in season two, the episode Legacy, while not directly mentioned, again, Hansen could be the inspiration for the episode's unsub, Charles Holcomb. Both were serial killers and abductors who targeted female prostitutes, though Holcomb also targeted other high-risk victims. Out of hatred, he lured them into vans and abducted them. He tortured his victims while holding them captive in isolated locations and allowed them to leave if they fully complied with the torture. He took trophies, which were actually shoes and dismembered limbs in this case, but still trophies. And he had at least one surviving victim who was a prostitute. But in season five, the episode Exit Wounds, Hansen is mentioned by name. Hansen was mentioned by Hotch when he says the FBI's Alaska field office haven't handled a serial killer investigation since his case, though they weren't technically involved. The local police contacted John Douglas, who made the offender profile. The FBI were involved in the forensic investigation, and it was their crime lab in Washington that handled that. The FBI and the Alaskan authorities had also cooperated in the case of Thomas Richard Bundy, who killed five women and then himself when a warrant for his arrest was issued. So, not surprising that this case, I don't want to say inspiration because that sounds terrible, but could have been the inspiration for multiple episodes of Criminal Minds. There was also in 2012 an ID Discovery documentary done on the case. I think it was called Ice Cold Killers. In 2013, the movie On Frozen Ground with Nicolas Cage came out. That was a good movie. I saw it years and years ago and had no idea that it was based on a true story. But yeah, that is the case of The Butcher Baker. So... It's pretty intense. It's pretty crazy. I am disgusted at how many women went missing or were murdered. And nothing was done. Nothing was even connected for so, so long. Also, why are all of these young women traveling to Alaska? What, what's in Alaska that is drawing them there? I'm sure they're not like, I should go to Alaska and become an exotic dancer. That's crazy. So I'm interested what was going on in the 70s and 80s that so many women were, young women, were going to Alaska. Does anybody know? Let me know. All right. That is the case of The Butcher Baker. Thank you so much for tuning in. Come support the podcast on Patreon. Go and check out our social medias. I'll post pictures of Robert Hansen along with some of his known victims. It's just a crazy story. Alaska is scary. 
this was a dark episode. So everybody go and look at some pictures of puppies or cuddle with your cat or your kids or something to feel better. I am going to get myself a coffee and then I'm going to spend at least an hour watering all of my plants because I don't know about you guys, but it takes me about an hour (laughs) just to water all of my plants. So I'm going to do that. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye. One, two, three.